All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Isaac Mihangos. I'm your host for the Isaac Mihangos podcast, where we talk about technology, the impact that technology has, and just stories that are interesting to me. In today's podcast, we'll be discussing Apple's event that happened last week, what's been going on with the unboxings, uh, my thoughts on the blockchain, uh, NFTs, and cryptocurrency just in general. I'm not a financial advisor, so please don't take financial advice from me. And also um, YouTube getting rid of the dislike button. And the idea of, you know, is it the end of podcasts? Is it the era that, you know, sprung up so many podcasts? Only the best survived. And now we're kind of stuck here with one too many podcasts that, you know, is for everybody, right? So let's just dive into Apple's event. Also, if I could have you guys follow me on the foundation app and give me an upvote, that would be highly appreciated. It doesn't take any time and didn't cost you anything, but I'm trying to sell my NFTs on there. So last week, Apple's event, uh, we had to talk about the iPad Pro, uh, center stage, the new IMAX, which I absolutely dislike so hard um air tags and much more so the ipad the ipad now has the m1 in it and i think we were all expecting this right from the very start there was already an amazing performance boost to you know the macbook pro 13 inch and the mac mini for developers uh so yeah i don't think it was difficult for them to kind of just throw this chip in there and kind of move it more forward to that idea of replacing your traditional, you know, big clunky computer with an iPad that sort of works around the environment of your home and replacing um, your traditional computer with an iPad. I see it coming more and more closer to that vision, but we also must sort of get into Apple's mindset and think about how they want to cannibalize this, right? Because now with a new refreshed iMac, mostly based for consumers, not as tech enthusiasts, not people who work in the industry and need a whole bunch of horsepower, just the average consumer, um, how that would sort of play into all of that. So, to me, though, uh, it's difficult to call the iPad a competitor to the computer because it's missing, you know, Final Cut Pro, Logitech, the Creative Suite. And I've used the Creative Suite on the iPad and it looks great, but there's still so many limitations and you're forced with workarounds, right? I've discussed this in my previous video where I made the Logitech review. I think it's a lot of, you know, what Apple is trying to do and then what third-party developers are trying to do. And I highly doubt that we'll see, you know, Logitech or Final Cut within the next year, maybe two, maybe like 2024. Um, but again, I'm very doubtful of that. Um, and if it were to come to the iPad, 
I'm just a little curious as to how everything would function because it's not just, you know, transferring, transferring from like A to B. It's like, it looks very simple, right? But it's extremely complex to come into a different format. And, you know, with our ability to use fingers and use a stylus. So that's uh, my first thoughts on the iPad and the M1. Not a computer just yet, still an iPad. Don't, uh, don't let the advertisers fool you. And the idea of 5G being introduced or the feature of 5G, again, I don't really care too much about that at the moment. A lot of 5G towers, um, you know, are just kind of there. If you're lucky enough to be able to afford the 5G, then, <laughs> you know, good on you. But to me, it's very unimportant. If you buy this, though, just know that you'll be future-proofed for the next coming years. Center stage. Okay, I really wanted to talk about the feature, that, like the center stage feature, because, you know, have you ever tried to be on a phone call where you're doing multiple things, like just cooking, right? You kind of move the device with you so that people can see your face because that's how most people have a conversation. <laughs> you know, you're just not like, you know, when you're looking at someone and having a conversation face to face, not like you're looking at 10 different places, right? Um, this makes absolute, like a lot of sense in general. And what I'm hoping to see is it just doesn't work on FaceTime. It also works with other applications like you're on Skype or on Google Teams. And it just kind of knows that um, you're moving and it's well integrated because I think the demo only showed them uh, with a with using FaceTime. So yeah, it's kind of useful, but most companies are using Zoom or Skype or Google Meets in order to do this. I think this was the coolest feature, like the low-key cool feature. Um, no surprise that the Apple Pencil 2 was not redesigned. There was no introduction of new stylus features. You know, it's a great stylus, to be honest. It feels great in the hands, really nice and smooth. But how much can you improve it, right? How much can the pencil be more improved? Uh, I saw a lot of renders going around, like they're gonna put something on top of the pencil for better stylus control and more adaptability. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's as is, and since we don't see a redesign or anything this this first cycle, uh, I'm hopeful that 2022, what year are we living in anymore, will be the year that we get to see a brand new Apple Pencil. One that I actually use more than just like scroll through Instagram, right? So, and I think that what made me, you know, really, Fell, fall in love with the iPad was, you know, how much it can do. And again, Apple's trying to really push the iPad to be this sort of, you know, home-centric device. And But also for professionals, right? Especially the iPad Pro. The 2018 version uh, blew everything out of the water. Reviewers still say, like, I can still get so much done with the iPad Pro from 2018. How do you make a product so good? Or where was I going with this? Yeah, a Thunderbolt, right? So now you're able to do a dual setup via Thunderbolt to your desktop. 
that is them pushing a little bit more towards the prosumer side, the, the pro side. You know, they had, I think, like Logitech and someone was composing a few music tracks, right? <laughs> Apparently, I can't talk today or any day. And just having this makes more sense that they're pushing that and pushing that. I don't know how many people are actually gonna buy like a $6,000 monitor and like a $3,000 iPad to combine it. At that point, you just get a regular desktop, right? Maybe the Mac Pro even, but you're at you know a few hundred dollars, which is quite a bit right now, quite a bit of Bitcoin. Just being able to see this, the, the reintroduction of it, or the first introduction of it, of MagSafe and I don't even know what I'm saying. The first introduction of Thunderbolt uh, into iPad just feels like they're gradually pushing towards bringing back the retro stuff that we already know, right? Uh, MagSafe, the colors, the SD card. Apple is, in a way, to me at least, it seems like they're backtracking a little to the familiarity of the, of the Apple brand especially with the colors, right? Which uh, I don't like pastel colors. They're just kind of dull and boring and don't have too much life in them, but they're just kind of bringing up a lot of the legacy stuff. Also, who needs two terabytes of storage on their iPad? What are you doing in your iPad that you need that much space for? Um, you know, I think 256 is like a pretty good amount. So even one terabyte is kind of overkill unless you're like freaking producing, you know, Beethoven's Night Symphony in there. Uh, next, the new IMAX. No, just no. <sighs> these, uh, these colors, this ain't cheap. That chin, no, just uh, no. Uh, that, that was like, first of all, an engineering miracle that we can uh, fit everything into an extremely thin design. I feel like Johnny Ives right now. So thin and elegant. Everything is thin and elegant. Do I generally care about that? That's thin, I'm impressed. Do But that giant chin, I think I've complained about the giant chin on Twitter at some point. I'm just like, God dang it. The, the iMac would be perfect if it didn't have that chin. Did they deliver? Uh, no, they did not, but the colors, uh, I don't like a single one of the colors. Maybe blue, actually. Blue looks like the the most solid one. They look great from the back and from the side, but then uh, the display. It's like, I don't like white bezels either. I don't like so that you can see. what well, with black, like if it gets scratched up, you kind of see it, but you can also, you know, just like throw some Sharpie on there. I don't know who's gonna throw some Sharpie on like their $6,000 device, but with, white it does this thing where it gradually starts to pick up the stains of anything you know like anything white will kind of become yellow over time you know i didn't like it because this was not the pro machine right this was not the new 2021 macbook pro this was more the consumer for the family they want a computer that's going to work and everybody is going to be able to use it so what really changed my mind was Dave 2D's video on, you know, this is just the family computer. It's nothing fancy or elegant. You can watch 
4K movies, which I was surprised they threw in 4.5K. You know, I, but it makes sense because there was like this gradual inclination to bring in 4K into other computers. So I'm very happy that they did that. But it's it's not oh and the and the uh, the new speakers which Dol which has a Dolby in there and a better 1080p camera, which is not a high bar to clear. Like come on, like they're introducing 1080p like it's 2012 and we're all supposed to be impressed. I mean the algorithms and the AI behind the image processing is impressive, right? But 1080 guys, you guys could have done like 2K on there. And, that would have been a much more impressive feat, in my opinion. <clears throat> uh, where was I going? <laughs> I keep on, this is why I need like a co-host to kind of, you know, steer me where I was going. Um, engineering miracle, yeah, giant chin. The biggest turnoff was that the flat design was not cool. Oh yeah, Dave2D changed my mind on, uh, on what this was. It was not for the pros, it was just for the families. You could get enough work done on there. I feel like you could even get like a small feature film done on this computer. There's no real excuse, right? But after he said that, I was like, you know what? I still don't like any of this, but it's not a product that's for me, right? I'm more excited for the 2021 MacBook Pro, what they're gonna bring, the reintroduction of MagSafe, um, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people like the colors, you know, especially if you're like a family, you want something to sort of pop out in the room. I'm not an interior designer, but that's what I would imagine an interior designer would say. Headphone jack. Oh, God. I'm actually kind of happy that they put it to the side. I always found it kind of weird that you had to go to the back to plug in your headphones. Like, how annoying is that? And then you kind of had to buy a dongle. And the screen... Like the computer is so thin that they had to put it on the side, but I like it on the side. So good choice on that one. Um, yeah, I already talked about the headphone jack and the screen. Honestly, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised at how much better the screen is, you know? Like I can clearly tell when it's 4K, when it's 60 FPS, and you can probably learn it too if you watch enough videos and movies or you do a bit of editing, like you kind of see that some things are way too over smoothened. So if someone's actually buying this, like a regular consumer, they're just gonna see like a huge jump in quality. I also am surprised that there was no 120 gigahertz or like, one, like a 160 gigahertz update on the iPad Pro. Uh, Cause it just feels like the next right move Maybe they'll introduce it in the iPad mini for next year. I'm just a little surprised that they didn't do that. Uh, also, spatial audio. This is, uh, I don't know if I talked about this before, but spatial audio, gotta check on the time there, is probably one of my favorite features. Like when I'm watching anything on Apple TV, because I got that free trial, <laughs> it's, uh, it feels so weird, but so cool. It's just how your how your ears naturally react, right? Like the software is tricking your ears as you gradually move along if you're watching the video version of this. Um, I don't know if it'll just be me just looking at this camera or, you know, go on YouTube, you'll find out later. 
if you're listening to this on Spotify. Um, yes, spatial audio is so interesting. I don't know if there was a company that did it before Apple. I'm pretty sure there was, but not to the same, you know, extent. It was amazing. Like you just tilt your head one way, you tilt the other, and the sound moves with your head. And I think this will this will just completely change we see the way we see a movie, right? Because now you kind of twist your head and there's different ways to experience the movie, right? Like one sound might be coming from you from the front and you're in the middle of the aisle, but then you go to the side and you hear completely different sounds. I'm just really happy that they made this decision and hopefully more people get to experience spatial audio because it's one of the best uh, features in a while. So I think that's all. Oh, AirTags. Cannot forget. Oh, God. They finally introduced AirTags. We we were talking about AirTags since last year. I think there were leaks for like nine months as to what they look like. And we're like, okay, they're here. And everybody and their mom was like, they're coming out in December, or they're coming out in November, or they're coming out when, you know, the groundhog sees its shadow at this specific time in the solar system. It's like, okay, geez. There was so many rumors. We already knew that it was coming out. This is the only thing I can afford to buy at the moment. So I bought them. Um, they're at a good price. You know, I thought they were going to be like $39, but they have the U1 chip. They're made out of a nice hard material. And they're relatively small, like a puck size. After seeing all the unboxings, it's such an Apple move to make us buy an accessory. By the way, how do you guys say the word accessory? Accessory or accessory? It's a, uh, it's such an Apple move. You could have just like easily drilled the hole, and there are made it like a little bit wider. But no, we got to buy the, buy the freaking, you know, keychain on the side. It was, uh, it was, I think I did not know I wanted this and I don't know if it'll work as specifically with my phone because I have an, an XR and the best way to get the most out of this experience is to have the U1 chip with the latest iPhone, which I believe if you have like 11 and up, you'll have the ultra wideband chip. Um, it's affordable. I thought they were gonna make it $50, to be honest. I got the four pack and, you know, I don't know how you would make this product better later on, right? Like it kind of already has its one and done feature, which is find my stuff. I lose my keys, find it. I lose my backpack, find it. I lose my sanity. A little bit harder of a task, but I'm pretty sure the Apple tracker can find that and there were just a lot of smart features that were built into this right like making sure someone isn't spying on you or following you around there aren't you know too many when there are a lot of air tags in one place it knows who you are and how to identify to make sure that you know you know you're not constantly being buzzed around by having too many air tags i think this is more of a move to keep you in the ecosystem right because although there's tile i've owned tiles before and they're good but they're just uh the whole subscription thing is kind of annoying 
we can talk about the subscription model idea in a little bit, but it's, uh, it ain't for me. I'm just getting annoyed of paying like monthly for everything. So I'm happy that they didn't do that. Like track your your Apple tracker for 50 miles from wherever you left it for $9.99 a month, right? I'm not going to do that. Um, so I'm very happy. And I think that's another, that should be another incentive. I don't think too many people have talked about. You need a subscription with Tile, I think, but they're pushing for that. Or I'm just confusing it with something else. I might just be confusing it because there's so many subscription emails. But yeah, I'm happy with this product. I think this is, this is the happiest product from Apple that feels new and will just keep me in the ecosystem. Um, so now we're moving on to crypto. Uh, before I start on this particular part, I am not a financial advisor. Do not take financial advice from me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just looking at the technology, all right? Uh, and clearly, when we talk about crypto, I gotta get some water. I feel like we now have to talk about NFTs, right? Before we get started, if you could follow me on Foundation app or just, you know, give me an upvote on there. That'd be awesome. So crypto. You know, I, I actually see this as a future of money. It makes so much sense. And we're going to talk a little bit about the economics of money. Not too, like not too much, right? Like I'm not a eco economist. I'm not a, you know, an expert in economy. You know, I just kind of see, I took a few college courses and I have a pretty good principle of like the psychology of money, what to do with your money um, and how to manage uh, or try to manage myself, right? with that because, you know, time in the market beats time in the market. I'm, I'm one of those, you know, long-term investors. So just uh, not, not financial advice. So crypto, what really made a lot of sense to me is the constant validation on a public forum, the blockchain that lets people see that you actually own the product, right? Like you actually, when you walk in to the club or when you walk into the coding room and you say, I have $15 million, people can just go on, on there and check to make sure that you have $15 million and you're not pulling some sort of Ponzi scheme to get their money, right? The, the ability to validate publicly makes a lot of sense. It's not manipulated. It's checked by a computer. There's only so much of it, you know, especially when you talk about the mother of all cryptos, which is Bitcoin. There's only so much, right? It's just the psychology of people. When a huge group of people validate that something has value and there's only one of it, there's more. It's good. It's going to drive up the price, right? Like if I have this Nike jacket and there's 20,000 of them, the value isn't very high. But let's say Kanye wore it and then Kobe wore it. And then, um, I don't know who else is freaking famous. And then Neil deGrasse Tyson wore it. Then, and they all signed it and they only wore it for a special event and everyone took pictures of it. I'm just dragging on the example. So the value goes up higher and it has their blood, sweat and tears. And there's only one of it. Clearly it's going to be worth like, I don't know, like $50 million in a hypothesis, right? That is what um, crypto is, right? There's only so much of it and people want it. You know, it's 54K now, which is a lot. 
you know, one Bitcoin, 54K, if you own 10 of these, man, you're on the moon right now. Uh, but if you didn't know, like the United States prints a lot of money, just like on demand. And what happens when you print too much of something or you make too much of something, the value goes down. There's this thing called quantitative easing, which the United States does to its banks. That's not good because the banks get like a trillion dollars per day, which reduces the value of your money. And when that goes to the toilet, you know, it costs like a million dollars to buy a loaf of bread with there only being a certain amount and being able to be checked by, you know, a public system and then making sure that this was like the oh moment, right? If you can't print more, there are no more bailouts, right? I think we've all seen the idea of huge tech companies being bailed out, huge banks being bailed out. And with with Bitcoin, especially we're using Bitcoin as the example, you can't print more of it. What's there is there. There's no huge entity that controls it, right? And that's what kind of made me a believer in this. Like we can't constantly be rescuing taxpayers cannot be constant, whatever your political side is, right? It doesn't matter. You, you just can't be giving money to them and then they buy X, Y, and Z back. And then the ordinary person that paid their share, whatever your side you're on, I don't care. You know, this is just an example. Um, like that, that to me was like, oh, this is where technology breaks kind of like a boring you know, industry, like how exciting can banking be? Um, you know, like zero, one, zero, one, beep, boop, boop, bop, boop. You know, it's, it's a little boring, uh, especially, <laughs> especially if you're just doing the beep, boop, bop sounds all day. Uh, so th that's, that's my idea on crypto, right? There's a little bit of it, just hold on to it, non-financial advice. That kind of leads me to, there, there's still like, the technical aspects I don't fully understand yet, but I think that it's better to hold, you know, some sort of cryptocurrency, not financial advice. I gotta say that every single time because we saw Doge go up, right? That was just like a meme by the power of the internet and uh, Elon Musk. <laughs> so yeah, those, those are just sort of where I stand on crypto. It's the future, it makes sense. No more big bailouts, no more you know, X, Y, and Z, no more printing so much that we lose the value of our money. And it could be verified through the blockchain. And now we're going to go into NFTs. And I think this is a little bit more of my, I have a lot more of an understanding is like a non-fungible token, right? Non-fungible means no fungible means movable and easy to move. Non-fungible means not easy to move. So the best example, if you, if you haven't heard of it is, you know, it's like fine art. You have the Mona Lisa, which is in like France, I think, somewhere in the UK. I don't know. I don't really care about the Mona Lisa. Uh, and there's that one specific photo. But you take a picture of it and it's on the internet. Everybody can see it. But the only one that actually has value is the original Mona Lisa, which probably is worth a whole bunch of money. Probably like trillions of dollars, right? And if you were to buy it, you would be the one of one that holds it. It's like a Pokemon card. It's like a baseball card. And at the moment, it's just for art. It's like, I saw this documented. It was like, oh, it's for tax evasion purposes. So like, 
what are these people doing? Is it, I, I actually do not know if that is. I think that's like a joke around Silicon Valley, but there's some, you know, a grain of truth in there somewhere. Hold on, let me just check the time. I'm at 28. Um, let me just pause and get back to this. Yeah, the, the non-fungible token is essentially that, you know, one of one, one of one Pokemon card, one of one baseball ultra rare card, one of one masterpiece that a painter makes. I think we're just in the wild west at the moment. Everybody, I think Beeple is the best example of someone that is making a lot of money as an early investor who clearly, he's clearly earned it though. Like you see his work, it's amazing, it's original. And I'm amazed that this guy has been making one piece of work and publishing it for like, what is it, like 15,000 days? 15,000, wait, what? <laughs> it's like 1,500 days. And his work's amazing. So he's made like quite a bit. And there's other people that are making it. It's still a brand new economy. As a creator, um, I see the benefits in this. Like, you know, you make uh, one of one for your fans or 10 of 10 for your fans as you make your special documentary or your special YouTube video. And it's digital and you get to hold it. And there's already companies that are producing like physical like wallets, physical, um, what is it called? Uh, picture frames to show off these, your, your NFTs, right? I think it's a little ridiculous at the moment though. Like people are paying for like a random photo of a piece of water or a piece of water, piece of plastic, or just like the most oversaturated image. I don't know if it's for the meme to be honest, or they're just, like, oh, this will be worth a lot of money for the meme later down the line. It's uh, it's cool to see. Um, but I think as we evolve and we let this space sort of grow, it's definitely for the content creator. I see the biggest win for the content creator because every time that it's being sold, apparently, if I read this correctly, the original artist gets 10% via the blockchain and it can always be verified that it's sold because it's public information. So you get a nice kickback. 10% is quite a bit. Now I'm not saying everybody's gonna make like a $2 million masterpiece and then get sold for 4 million and they get a nice kickback of 200K. That's not very realistic. But if you're like a small artist and you sell your piece for, you know, 50K and then it gets thrown down the line and then, you know, you just made another 20K just from your art. So that's really impactful. Uh, I think NBA Top Shot is the most like mainstream one that people understand. And I used to really be into basketball. So I, I understand that people want these moments, but is it just like any random moment? Why would I want any random moment? It's like, I want freaking LeBron James doing a three-pointer from half court while he's, uh, you know, doing a quadruple backflip. That's worth some money right there. I don't know what I'm saying, but you know, just adding to the extravagance, the finals, the top two, you know, East versus West, those are really important moments. And I think, you know, if you're a fan of any sport, you know that that's where people push themselves to the most. And that's where I would want to own a very specific moment, especially when it comes to the sports world but everything else just feels so random and people are like, 
throwing poop on the wall and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. So those are just my initial thoughts on the starting market. Where do I think it goes in like the middle points? Um, I think the easiest, you know, item to integrate this with to check that someone owns it is just like your phone, right? When you buy your phone, you might be giving some sort of NFT that shows that you own that phone. Like I'm pretty sure phone theft is probably one of the most common, you know, forms of theft in the world at this point, right? We like, we all own phones and people are like selling them to the pawn shop. Is there even pawn shops anymore or on eBay? In order for it to be sold at that moment, to make sure that, you know, the customer knows that it's actually yours, they can just check on the blockchain. You know, blockchain is decentralized. So it's kind of, so I think this is also gonna be really interesting how huge corporations are gonna to try to put themselves into the blockchain, right? Because nobody owns it. There's nobody to really report to, to say, hey, I wanna get in here. Like they have to build their own technology. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see. But I feel like you're going to start off gradually smaller and smaller and smaller. Like it'll be your phone. And then it'll be, it'll be your phone. Then it'll be like your camera. Then it'll be your TV. Then you get into huge assets. Like th this is where I see it in the future, right? Like there's phase one, the beginning, the middle, the middle is just like small electronic devices. And then there's the huge stuff, right? Like houses, cars, luxury cars, luxury watches, like Rolexes that are worth like $60,000. You know, you got your APs that are like $100,000 and you just don't want it to be stolen. You want it to be verifiable. And you, you're gonna start taking out people, you know, jobs are gonna start to disappear with the blockchain like i've researched how to buy a house and the amount of paperwork legality paperwork uh hiring third-party people paperwork signing all these forums making sure that you know it's under your name is probably one of the most tedious tasks people are going to go through and this is where i see the biggest opportunity with an nft that's like Going like when you buy a Tesla, right? There's no middle person. You can just go online, type in your information, and the car is yours. That's where I see the NFT moving. That's where people will really understand what's going on. <clears throat> but you also have like the concern for like how much energy are these computations and these calculations doing to the environment? And you know, I'm not an expert. I watched Johnny Harris's video and I thought it was excellent in everything that he mentioned, right? Like it's producing as much um, like CO2 as a small country for one day. Um, it, it becomes like a very difficult balance equation, right? Like what, what, do, what are we going to be doing that balances this out, which is concerning, right? It has its trade-offs economically and, and people will have a better, and I feel like more fair understanding of what they're buying it and when they're buying it and to make sure that it's theirs. And when it gets sold, the artist gets some kickback. At the moment, it's hard for me to understand if the good at the start will sort of trickle down into different, you know, areas like real estate, right? Like, and how those people 
um, will adapt to the new blockchain and just not having a third party person, right? It's like having a, like a travel advisor. We don't really have travel advisors. We do this through the computer now and you kind of just set up a bot in order to find your destination, right? So that's where I see it going. I think it's here to stay. Um, is it a bubble? Kind of, like it kind of is and it kind of isn't. Like if you're buying like a random photo from some like random artist, you might just be losing money and throwing it down a black hole. But if you're, if you feel like it's valuable and it's beautiful and the artist is growing, then, you know, take it at your own risk. NFTs though, crypto, really interesting space to be looking at. Just look out for it. I think it'll kind of start to die down, especially NFTs after everyone's done their taxes in the United States. It's going to be like, what's an NFT, bro? It's like, I kind of gave the same explanation to everybody when they asked about that. Moving on, though. Uh, what are we at here? We're at like 30 minutes. Okay, not too bad. Um, crypto and NFTs, we've covered that. We've covered the Apple event. Now, the dislike button. YouTube is considering getting rid of the dislike button. This ain't it, Chief. Uh, I don't get why they're doing this. You know, the dislike button has many purposes. It tells you as a creator whether people liked your video or not. It tells the audience whether the video is good or not. And um, it also, what's well, like its third purpose. It just makes sense. We kind of kind of balances out what rises to the top and what doesn't. Now, I do have <laughs> one video that is so heavily disliked. And and I hear that like the dislike doesn't even do anything for the algorithm. We can talk about algorithm talk, some other podcasts. I feel like I talk about it like every podcast, algorithm this, algorithm that. The dislike button served as a sort of guiding point to the way that I make the video. It's not so much, you have to deliver what the title says, right? Like how to fix X, Y, and Z, how to make X, Y, and Z better, how to set up X, Y, and Z, right? To me, that's what it does as a content creator. Like, oh, this is where I didn't deliver the right information. This is where people are getting mad at. People don't like this. And it just helped me improve. Uh, is it bad to see the dislikes? Yes, clearly, like everybody works on their videos. And I think I have like the good faith of saying that everybody works really hard on their videos and not, they're just not ripping off stuff off of TikTok and just like slapping it on there and calling it a day. Like I'm pretty sure most content creators put a good amount of effort into this. And when they see the dislike button being like 60 dislikes to 40 likes, that can be a little difficult and difficult to understand as to why people didn't like your video but then the comment section tells you why they don't like you. So it's like a combination of the dislikes plus the comment section giving you a balanced uh, review to your videos, right? Clearly there's the trolls that are just like, this video sucks and that's not adequate feedback, right? But you, But that's what the dislike button is to me. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It doesn't do anything like that. It's just like, this is where I can improve. This is what I could do better for next time. 
And if you if people don't like, just some people are in a bad day, you know, they're not disliking it because they freaking hate you. They just dislike it because maybe they were having a bad day or the information was incorrect. And I think there was something about like, so it doesn't really do too much to me personally, right? Like I just see the dislike button as a form of feedback. It also lets you gauge, like if I'm a viewer and I see a heavy amount of dislikes, I know that that video is not good. It's not there to waste my time. It's there to waste my time a lot of the times, you know, just to move on to the next video, which hopefully will be better. Do some videos that have a lot of dislikes rise to the top? Unfortunately, yes, there's plenty of videos. I mean, Justin Baby Bieber, Justin Bieber's baby <laughs> is, uh, is an example of it, right? It has a lot of dislikes, but you search a baby by Justin Bieber and it's still the number one video that shows up by that guy. Or the YouTube Rewind, it, you, you search in Rewind, it's the most disliked video of all time it still shows up there and you can tell that it's disliked by the dislike button and the comments. I feel like most people also read the comments as to why the video is bad, right? So it's like the comment section is about to get much, much worse if you take off the dislike button, right? Like the dislike button is a kind of passive aggressive way of, you know, Saying, I don't like the video, but I'm not going to comment. But I'm too afraid to comment. Now people are not going to be afraid to comment. And there's going to be so many more negative comments in my... Take a shot every time I say the word comments. Am I saying comments or comments? I'm saying comments. It's... Uh, that's what I see when you take away the dislike button. Is this the right move? Uh, no. Just, oh God, please just leave it as it is. It's worked for like 20 plus years. It's going to work fine if you leave it for another 20. What could it, what could they do to improve it? Um, I don't know. Maybe like the idea of the star system. Because in the old days, wow, so freaking old. There were one to five star ratings. Is that a little bit more vague? kind of right like stars are vague as opposed to thumb up or to thumb down so maybe reintroducing that back in because you know you have to find a way to not waste people's time and you know it starts off with getting rid of the dislike button the comments become like the wild west then the comment section gets deleted it's like, what is this, like regular TV where no one can comment and, and interact? Well, it's going to be like comments. And then they didn't mention anything about the dislike on the comment section where, you know, you can kind of upvote uh, on a comment that's good or not. So I'm hoping that they don't get rid of it. Like it's, it works fine. It works fine as is. There's really no problems with the dislike button. Um... Yeah, I think that's all I really had to say. This was my ramble and my talk. I'll continue to make this podcast at least once a week. But that's it for now. Let me know what your thoughts are, uh, especially on the dislike button or NFTs. Once again, I am not a financial advisor. I do not advise you to buy any of this or not buy it. Buy it at your own risk. And again, these are all my own opinions. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe if you're on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts to 
you know, give me five stars if you think it's good, some feedback, what I could do better. And uh, always feel free to tweet at me. At the end of the day, I thank you so much for your time and your attention. My name is Ashby Hongos, and I'll catch you in the next one.